Young, back to throw. In trouble, he's going to be sacked. No, gets away. He runs, gets away again, goes to the 40, gets away again, to the 35, cuts back at the 30, to the 20, the 50, the 10. He dies, touchdown, 49ers. What is up, everybody? Welcome to another edition of the 49ers Web Zone No Huddle Podcast. I am Rob Stats Guerrero, along with Levin Black. And Levin, we're a man down today, but we're going to carry on without Zane. Yeah, he's probably got his uh, tail tucked between his legs after losing that bet. You know, uh-huh. His Twitter account shows it. I just want to say, for the record, I predicted that Taysom Hill would have under 30 yards and would not score a touchdown. Both of those things happened. Zane lost the bet. That's why if you look at his Twitter profile, you see drunk Russell Wilson. See, I messed up, Levin. I should have specified that I get to pick the picture of Russell Wilson. Yeah, I thought about that. When I saw the one he picked, I was like, well, I mean, of all the pictures, that's the one picture no Seattle fan would actually have posted of him. Yeah. (laughs) But yeah, I will say the Saints certainly tried. I think they came in with a rather large uh, package of plays for Hill, thinking that because he's a running quarterback, he could give us some issues, but he just didn't get the completions. Stunner. Taysom Hill didn't get it done. (laughs) Plenty to get to break down when it comes to Niners Saints. But first, I want to mention we're brought to you by theqbsneak.com for accurate predictions on every NFL matchup and thought-provoking NFL content that can help your fantasy teams or confidence pools, head to theqbsneak.com. Okay, so let's get into it now, Levin. Game of the year, Scorigami, 48-46, 49ers. No NFL game had ever ended with that score. And the 49ers get the biggest win of the season, the biggest win of the, the past, you could argue, five seasons, maybe. I mean, it was an incredible game. Your first reaction after the 49ers win. Uh, relief, I think, was the most <laughs> I felt because, I mean, that's probably the most angry I've been during a game this season. I mean, things have been going quite well, and by the time we had a game that the Niners truly struggled, I mean, maybe the Steelers and all those turnovers in the beginning of that game would be up there, but, you know, we didn't lose a game till very late in the season. So, this game. I would, I mean, you can look at my Twitter history. I was not pleased with defense. <laughs> I mean, it, it, even in the end, you know, yes, the Niners got the win, but the defense, that's a mind bogglingly poor performance. I mean, it, they literally couldn't have done worse, in my opinion, as a defense, but the Niners got the win, and that's what matters. Well, let me ask you about that then. One, what do you think was the big issue with the defense? And two, do you have any concerns moving forward that maybe the defense is not going to play as well as they played earlier this year? I do have concerns because of D Ford. If you haven't noticed, the Niners have not been getting home in recent games. They haven't been getting the sacks. They've been getting some pressures, but it hasn't been nearly as consistent. And I think that is the effect of D Ford. The defenses are able to kind of slide over and concentrate more on Boza and Armstead and Buckner. And you're not seeing it as much. And I really, you really haven't seen since Ford went down Armstead or Buckner get to the quarterback that that interior pass rush hasn't been nearly as good. And it's because defenses are able to concentrate more. Part of that's also the teams that the Niners have played are better as an interior offensive line but that to me is my worry is 
to me, there's no reason for D Ford, even if he could play in week 17 against Seattle. And even if that game does mean something for home field and the division, I would say still rest him because I think they need him in the playoffs because he's what flips that defensive line into a juggernaut. Yeah, 465 total yards for the Saints. Both teams hit the combined over-under total for the game, which is just incredible to show you how much scoring was taking place. I thought Fred Warner did not play his best game, especially I was cursing him at the end of the when the Saints score with under a minute left. I mean, he misses the tackle that allows the receiver to get into the end zone. You know, he's still a very young player, and there's a lot of tape on him now, so I'm wondering if maybe some teams are starting to see some things here that they're trying to exploit because he did not look as good as he's looked filling in for Quan Alexander. Well, I also think a lot of it had to do with uh, not having Tart out there. Marcel Harris was not good by any stretch of the imagination. No. He did have one big play, but the uh, touchdown to Cook there, the first one, I believe was a complete blown coverage by Harris. It looked like he and Ward covered the same side of the field as safeties. They both read a a guy coming over the middle as their responsibility. And there was a second guy behind that one. And to me, uh, that would be the biggest concern overall, because he just didn't look to be an answer against that type of team. I think against say a Baltimore, he would be more of a fit because he's very good against the run. He's almost like a linebacker. But against the pass, he is just not good at recognizing what's going on in the passing game. And I kind of wish the Niners at some point would have given Tavares more more run there, even though he's not really a strong safety. But in this scenario of playing New Orleans, you don't really need that strong safety. You almost... You know, having two free safeties wouldn't necessarily be a bad situation. You need more coverage. And that was one big complaint I had was that they didn't try that at any point. Now, obviously, offensively for the 49ers, 48 points scored. Jimmy Garoppolo throws for 349 yards, four touchdowns. Were you more concerned with the defense or encouraged and impressed by the offense? That's a good question because was I more... I mean, I was definitely frustrated more by the defense than surprised or happy about the offense because I wasn't overly shocked that the offense mm-hmm. was able to to move the ball. But going forward, I don't really expect the defense to be this to be an issue, you know. So I would say the defense would be the bigger part of it. That I'm more, or would be the lesser part of it. I'm more surprised at the offense than I would be concerned about the defense. Cause I think it was, it was a one-off game. It was New Orleans in the dome, uh, missing some guys, some key players defensively, and then some other key players just having bad games. I have to say, I think this offense is really starting to hit their stride. 8.2 yards per play for the game on Sunday, which is just absolutely incredible. I think that Debo and Emmanuel Sanders, who I think is clearly starting to get a little bit healthier and with Kittle now playing well, I just think that the 49ers offense, including, and I should have mentioned, Raheem Mostert, who all of a sudden now appears to be the lead back in this three-man backfield, I think that they are hitting their stride at the right time. And I, I have no doubts about their offense going forward whatsoever. 
And I think a lot of that is just getting the right people in the lineup all at once. You know, Emmanuel Sanders came in mid-season, but about the time he went down, he was brought in was about the time that Kittle went down. I think they had, what, two games together, including the one Kittle got hurt in? That's a really good point. But then on top of that, Debo seems to have seen the light. You know, he's certainly improved greatly. And part of that is just teams can't concentrate on him. They're going to worry about Sanders first and Kittle first. You know, I guess it would be probably Kittle Kittle first, Sanders second. But Debo's able to beat that third guy pretty regularly. And that's why he's emerging as maybe going to end up with the best rookie season as a wide receiver in the league uh, this season. And to me, I think having all of them there, Debone, what he brings as an after-the-catch guy, some underneath routes, Sanders and his deeper threat able to kind of open up that uh, secondary some and Kittle all around, (laughs) along with Juice being back. It's the offense, I think, that Shanahan's envisioned. He finally has the weapons he needs. He's got the deep, deeper threat of a receiver who could run those intermediate to deep routes and Sanders. He's got the underneath guy. He's got the tight end. He's got the fullback and he can run all sorts of plays. And we even saw that in the game when they ran back to back plays, there were essentially identical plays routes, at least where first one was to juice where he snuck behind and leaked out to the other side went you know, from the right, all the way snuck out to the left and got the reception. And then the very next play, they motioned Kittle into the same exact spot Juice had just been the previous play, and he ran the same exact route and got a completion there too. You're seeing that where they can line up in one way and, and have all options to them, and the defense has to guess. It's, it's beautiful to watch. Um, one more question on that game before we get to the game balls. The Kittle play on fourth and two, where he makes the move on the choice route, goes to his left. Garoppolo throws him an absolutely perfect ball, completely in stride. He turns up the field. He ends up getting 39 yards. Could have been more if he didn't have three guys hanging all over him. Where does that Kittle play rank for you in terms of 49ers lore? You know, uh, recency bias would make you want to say uh, quite high on the list, but it's the 49ers. I mean, and it wasn't playoffs. So, and then you got the catch. You got the catch two. You got the catch three. Right there puts it fourth at best. Wow. And then there's plays that I would personally, the Garrison Hurst overtime run for 98 yards. Against the Jets, solid. Yeah. Yeah. I, that's a play I remember vividly and always will. There's the, uh, that Giants play uh, in the playoffs in the early 2000s where they dragged down the Giants player in the, the last where they, I think they had a fake field goal or something. I can't remember. Exactly oh, yeah, yeah. Big, it was a But they literally snap. tackled yeah. the guy. You know, that one I would say is <laughs> probably higher. I mean, that's kind of in the realm. So, I mean, just off the top of my head, you're getting to borderline top five, and I'm sure there's ones I haven't thought about that would be further above. It's the Niners. There's too much playoff history for a regular season game to be up there, as great as that play is. It might be, other than the Garriston Hurst run, my favorite one to rewatch for years to come. What about the Navarro Bowman blowing out the candles at the stick against the Falcons with the pick six? Yeah, that's that's what I'm talking about. There's there's too much okay. playoffs and big moments in the Niners lore. I mean, for the Cincinnati Bengals, this might be number one, but it's the 49ers. <laughs> Take that, Cincinnati. It's not it's not enough that we murdered you in the beginning of the season. 
<laughs> All right. Uh, let's give out some game balls here for this one. You're up first. Who gets your game ball? Oh, that, that's a that's a tough one because you do have that play at the end of the game, and you obviously had Jimmy's game that it's his best game, I think, as a professional. But I'm going to have to give it with the guy who set the tone early and really kept the Niners in this game in a lot of ways, and that's Emmanuel Sanders. His deep touchdown, his passing touchdown, which was a phenomenal throw considering he was having to essentially jump backwards while he's throwing it. Yes, if he's a wide receiver. made that throw, people would have gone nuts. <laughs> I'm just saying. So I would have to say Emmanuel Sanders because if it wasn't for him early in that in that game, this game gets out of hand because it almost did anyways. I mean, they scored on their first four drives. What was it, 27-7 to at one point? And Sanders was the only thing going at that point. Yeah, it's incredible. Think about where they would be right now if that trade that they didn't make that trade, or even if they had ended up getting Mohamed Sanu instead of Emmanuel Sanders. I mean, maybe Sanu would be doing the same thing, but I mean, this offense would look vastly different without that trade. Well, Sanu to me is Debo. They're very similar receivers. That's true. They're, they're not necessarily deep threats. They're very good underneath. They're physical receivers who are great after the catch. I think there's a lot of similarities there. Would Sanu have made us better than? getting nobody sure but i think sanders is a better fit because he opens that defense but you got to give out your game ball still so i'll be quiet now i'll give it to jimmy garoppolo 26 to 35 349 yards which is the exact same number of yards drew Brees threw for weirdly enough four touchdowns he averaged 10 yards per attempt i mean his quarterback rating 131.7 he made throws it wasn't just the numbers that he put up the plays in this game, one of the touchdowns to Bourne where I think he he goes through three reads on the play and then comes back to Bourne as he's rolling left, throws it across his body and an absolute rope into the end zone. He was he protected the ball. I mean, even the interception that he threw clanged off of Emmanuel Sanders' hands over the middle. It was not one of those stupid Jimmy Garoppolo throws that we've seen. I feel like he is now, the knee is now completely not a thing for him. He knows the offense now. Like you said, his pieces are there together at the same time. I, I don't know if they win this game if Jimmy Garoppolo is not the quarterback. And and there have been some games this year where you could have, I think, thrown Nick Mullins in there and still had pretty much the same result. That was not the case on Sunday. So I give it to Jimmy Garoppolo. Yeah, and his pinpoint accuracy, it was the thing. When, when Jimmy Garoppolo first started for the Niners a couple of years ago, you know, my brother who... He's a big Titans fan. He's done a Titan podcast for years. Uh, is active in their world, so he's pretty big into football. Um, he was asking me, what what is the signature thing for Jimmy Garoppolo as a quarterback? And I said, I think the thing that makes him different than most quarterbacks and gives him that superstar potential is his pinpoint accuracy. It's not that he gets the completion. It's that he hits a guy dead on in stride so that instead of a five-yard short pass and tackled on a slant, it's a five-yard pass where the receiver doesn't have to break stride so he gets another 10, 20, or breaks free for even more. And that, to me, was the difference in the game, or one of the differences in the game, at least, that he was hitting receivers in stride on those crossing routes over and over again, and he did it even on the Kittle you know, last pass, where if, if he didn't hit Kittle in stride there, the Niners get the first down and that's it. If Kittle has to slow down at all, he's likely tripped up by the trailing defender. But because he got hit in stride, he was able to get by him and turn up field. And 
Kittle's greatest strength is what he does after the catch. So, like you said, Jimmy puts him in a position to utilize his greatest strengths, which, of course, that's absolutely what you want from your quarterback. Now, we mentioned the impact of Emmanuel Sanders, but there's another wide receiver that's been in the news this week and has been linked to the 49ers, and that, of course, would be Odell Beckham Jr. of the Cleveland Browns. Jay Glazer had the report on Sunday that he was telling teams to come get him. We got a further report that that was in October, and you look at who the Browns played in October. That would be the Patriots, the Seahawks, and our San Francisco 49ers. There's also video that has popped up online of Odell talking with Jimmy G after the game. They sort of hug and words are exchanged. I'm not really sure what Odell said. You can clearly hear Jimmy say, I know, I got you. And a lot of people are thinking that Odell said, hey, come get me. I want to play here. And, And Jimmy was obviously supportive of that. So let me throw it out to you, Levin. Do you buy that Odell wants to play with the 49ers, and do you think they'll make a play for him after the year? I think if he's truly available, the Niners would definitely at least have discussions. And I'm not talking internal discussions. I think they would definitely contact Cleveland at the very least. I think Odell would definitely want to play with the Niners because it's a marquee franchise that is a very clear Super Bowl uh, team that has a Super Bowl window that could last the rest of his career. I mean, he's about midway point of his career. So the Niners championship window is pretty much open for however long Jimmy Garoppolo plays. Well, Jimmy Garoppolo is as long, if not longer than Odell Beckham left. So it's kind of the perfect thing for him overall. West Coast, I mean, I I don't know how much Odell Beckham cares about that. I would guess that he doesn't. He just wants the spotlight and the Niners definitely would give a spotlight to a wide receiver. And I mean, we've seen in the past, the the wide receiver history that the 49ers have is something that attracts wide receivers. We saw that last offseason with Antonio Brown. They want to come where the greatest played. They want to come where Terrell Owens played. They want to come to the franchise that is known for wide receivers because of mostly those two. So I think there would definitely be interest. I will say... I'll I'll end what I'm saying here with I don't see how the Niners can do it. Because they only have basically one real draft pick. They have a first-round draft pick next year and then nothing until the fifth round. And obviously that's what Cleveland's going to want back if they make this deal. Um, Here's my issue with it. I think the 49ers are definitely interested. I know they were interested last year. John Dorsey is going to look like a moron if he trades Odell Beckham Jr. after acquiring him last year he's going to look terrible so he has to save face somehow in this deal and in order to do that he's going to have to give up at least as much as he got or at least as much he's going to want back excuse me at least as much as he gave up to get Odell Beckham Jr. in the first place and like you said I don't know if the 49ers have the assets I'm not even sure what a deal would look like that first round pick would absolutely have to be in there and then I mean what does Cleveland need offensive linemen I suppose but I mean who are the 49ers going to give up on there it's not like they have a glut of offensive linemen they can just deal away so I don't really know if the 49ers have the assets but man I would absolutely love to see Odell Beckham Jr. come I mean come to the team that honestly has had the three greatest receivers in the history of the sport Jerry Rice Terrell Owens and Randy Moss have all played for the 49ers at one point um and and Odell has said he wants to try and break Jerry's records what greater place to try and do that than where Jerry himself played I just don't know that they can what they can give up to get it done. Well, I got two things. First, I'll say Dante Pettis would almost be guaranteed to be involved in a deal with that. Okay, you can have him. 
Right, exactly. Dante Pettis doesn't really have much trade value left. I think if you got a fifth-round pick offer for him right now, you would be very lucky. His his trade value has been torpedoed. But it's not just what the 49ers could give up that makes it a difficult thing. It's also the 49ers' cap situation. Now, they can create some cap. Marquis Goodwin is looking like a lock to be released. I would... I would almost guarantee that Jet McKinnon is going to mm-hmm. be released. That frees up some capital. And there's a few others out there that, that are certainly a possibility. But are the 49ers going to elect? I, I mean, with, with the way the salaries are most likely going to, to fall, it would have to be a decision between, and this is just a possibility because it's no guarantee that they can get both these players to come back. But say, re-sign Emmanuel Sanders for $10 million per, re-sign Eric Armstrad for 10 to $12 million per, or have Odell Beckham. Would you rather have those two, or would you rather have Odell Beckham? Because Odell Beckham, he, he's gonna, he just got a new contract, but he can always re- renegotiate, but he's not going to take less. And he's right at the top for what wide receivers are paid. He's going to add up to very close to what those two players will add up to on a yearly basis. And you add in the whole unknown of, I mean, this is what, three years in a row, Odell Beckham has said, I want out from the team he's playing on. You don't have that issue with Emmanuel Sanders. That is true. And that's how you have to look at it. You have to look at not just, obviously, I think you'd rather have Odell than Emmanuel Sanders, but... You have to tie in the extra cost to that, too. And if that cost is Eric Armstead, that's a legitimate question. One thing that does help is that the, the salary cap projections just came out, and it looks like the cap is projected to go up about $20 million from where it is now. So that does help. That's always you know a nice thing to have. I mean, you look at Armstead and what that defensive line does to opposing teams. I mean, I do wonder, look, Kyle Shanahan is an offensive coach. We've seen him scheme guys open. Do you need Odell Beckham Jr.? No, I mean, I think you've seen this year, the offense is the second highest scoring offense in the league, but man, wouldn't it? I mean, you talk about Super Bowl windows. Jimmy Garoppolo's 28 years old. Odell Beckham Jr. is 27 years old. Uh, I mean, I would just love to be able to watch those guys together for the next five years. Oh, I, I certainly would love to have Odell Beckham. And there is one player that the Nor- Niners could save a considerable amount of money by releasing that I do think is at least going to be discussed internally. They might not make it publicly known. They might not do it, but I think the Niners have to have discussions about whether or not to get out from D Ford's contract. I knew you were considering his, his issues as, as big as he is. And I just talked Mm -hmm. about how much the, the pass rush has fallen off since he got hurt. But at the same time, he has a degenerative condition. That's not going to get any better. And, He's got a very long history of injuries, and he's getting more and more pretty much every season. I mean, so you have to ask yourself, do you want that that amount of money tied up in him? I can't remember the exact number off the top of my head. I know that I think it's dead cap is six and a half million if they release him, but I believe it's savings of about nine and a half million, somewhere in that range just off next year. And then obviously every year after that is double digit amount of savings. So it's a very significant amount of savings and it would go a long way towards being able to afford Odell Beckham. 
So that might be a question, but the Niners definitely have to, even if Odell Beckham's not in the conversation, the Niners need to have a discussion internally about whether or not D Ford's worth the risk going forward. I think that's completely fair. And then you, like you said, it's not about ability. It's about availability. And would you rather have D Ford or Eric Arm? If you could only pay one. I would say at this point, it's got to be Eric Armstead. I mean, I uh-huh. think, I think what Eric Armstead brings, it's harder to find a average equivalent to that. And what I mean by that is to find a guy who can play outside great against the run inside, get after the quarterback on pass downs is very hard to find that versatility. Finding a guy who can speed rush off the edge to at least make the defense account for it isn't that hard to find somebody who's at least effective enough to make that a factor. Now, obviously, will it be a D Ford? No, D Ford is a truly elite talent, I think, in this league. But if you get a guy who at least has to be factored into a pass blocking uh, equation, that makes them not be able to concentrate as much on the other side where Bosa is. Right now, Bosa is the concentration of the defense. You see it. And he's still making an effect. But how many of those hurries would have been sacks with D Ford? I think Bosa's lost out on a couple sacks the last few weeks just because D Ford's not playing. Absolutely. And like you said, too, if you've got both ends collapsing the pocket, the quarterback has nowhere to go except step up. And that means he's stepping up into DeForest Buckner. And we've seen early in the year, you know, what happens to offenses when they have to do that. Now, let's look ahead now. San Francisco plays Atlanta. Niners are back home. You know, you you would think that the Niners should win this game, but they can't take it lightly, and they do clinch a playoff spot if they beat Atlanta. How do you see this one looking, Levin, especially with the Niners banged up a little bit? That's what worries me. This game actually does worry me a little bit. The Falcons are not that great of a team, uh, obviously, (laughs) considering they're eliminated from the playoffs, but to me, I, I, I think this gets thrown around a little too much, but I do think this is a very good example of it. This could be a trap game for the Niners. They're coming off three straight weeks of big-time matchups, or four if you if you want to go back to their last home game. On top of that, they're coming off of the game of the year, at least in the regular season for the NFL. That emotional high. Now they're coming home to what's supposed to be an easy opponent before they finish the season with back-to-back divisional opponents. This has all the makings of an overlooked game. The only thing that I could, I would say that could stop that is this is obviously a game Shanahan has no interest in losing. That's where he came from. <laughs> so I that's think he, he will probably stress that. I would guess he's going to stress that, but at the same time, you got to take it from the team's perspective. They've been on the road for two weeks. They're coming off all these hugely important games where they're playing the teams. They're likely going to have to, play in the playoffs and now they're back home after two weeks and they got two divisional opponents following the game that worries me in addition to the Niners will be shorthanded yeah you're 100% right Richard Sherman's probably not going to play in this game we're not going to see D Ford obviously he's probably not going to play for the rest of the regular season Um, Williams is in the concussion protocol I believe right the Niners have yeah they have some some questions at defensive back and I think Calvin Ridley for the Falcons is out for the year so that you know, that works in the 49ers' favor. Uh, everything you said makes sense, and I like the fact that Shanahan can at least sell playoff berth with a win and sort of a revenge game for him. This is the, These are the kind of games, Levin, where I feel like you have to get a lead early. 
if you get a lead early, especially like a two-score lead in the first quarter, I feel like the Falcons will mail it in. You'll take their heart right out of the game. But if you let them hang around, keep it like a one-score game, all of a sudden they get one big turnover or one fluky offensive play. Somebody falls down or something. They start to believe they can win, and that's how you lose these games like this. So if I'm the 49ers, please just keep it rolling. Do not come out flat in this game. Come out ready to roll, and I think you take their heart early. Right, and so I, there's no other way to explain this other than I own Matt Ryan in fantasy football. <laughs> so I paid attention to the Falcons games, and that's exactly what has happened to them. They start out flat quite a few times this season, and when they do, it's over. When they are in it, and they don't get 21 points scored on them in the first quarter or whatever, you know, when they're not down big early, Game's on. They've hung with some very good teams, and they've beaten some good teams this season, but they are a team that starts poorly, and then they're always trying to catch up. Well, the Niners also start poorly. (laughs) That's been Mm -hmm. something that happens every week. The Niners do not start well, especially defensively. So I think that is a danger in this game. If the Niners allow the Falcons to get an early touchdown, and the Falcons get to play with the lead, this is a game I'm legitimately worried about, even though the Niners are the much better team. Now, I think we would both pick the 49ers in this one. Am I right? Yeah. I mean, I'm worried about it, but I'm not dumb. <laughs> <laughs> so let's uh, let's take a look now at the playoff picture in the NFC. You've got the 49ers. They're at 1, 11, and 2. The Packers are at number two at 10 and three, followed by the Saints at 10 and three. Cowboys are at four at six and seven in the most ridiculous rule in the NFL that they get to actually host a playoff game. Seattle right now is number five at 10 and three. And then you've got the Vikings at nine and four. If the 49ers win out, they will be the number one seed, which means they'd get the first round by, which is something I think they desperately need. But Levin, if they don't get the number one seed and they have to play a wildcard weekend, What's the best matchup for San Francisco? Well, I think that's obviously Dallas. Uh, Dallas is easily the worst team. I guess you could say Philly, since Dallas and Philly are currently tied in record, I believe. Yes, Um, I think it's Philly. And Philly is uh, very depleted uh, when it comes to their offensive talent. And that's likely to stay the case because a lot of their guys are serious injuries. Uh, Ashlyn Jeffrey just got re-hurt and I believe he's done for season if I'm not mistaken. Yep. Uh, after getting, you know, he's been hurt all season and then he finally comes back and he, I mean, that's, that's been his career, but there's Zach Ertz and that's about it offensively when it comes to receiving options and running back has obviously been an issue for them for the last couple of years as well. So I don't think Philly could score on the Niners much at all. I mean, that's a game I wouldn't be shocked to see the Niners shut them out, at least as it stands currently, um, with with Philly's injuries. There's obviously still would be four weeks until that game happens, so some things could change there. But I also do just like the matchup against Dallas. Uh, I don't think Dallas has good coaching. The Niners have good coaching. <laughs> that's a massive advantage, and I think that's different than the Philly situation. I think Philly does have good coaching. So could they come up with a game plan that keeps them in the game? Certainly. I think Dallas has more talent than Philly, but Dallas definitely doesn't have the coaching, in my opinion. 
So I think that is an equally great matchup, even though Dallas has some talent there, especially on offense. That is the absolute perfect way to frame it. Would you rather face a talented team like the Cowboys with crappy coaching or a team that doesn't have the talent right now in Philadelphia, but has a good coach in Doug Peterson and a good defensive coordinator in Greg Schwartz? Uh, it's a great, yeah, why am I blanking on his first name? Schwartz, Short. the Cowboy, the, the old Lions coach that Jim Harbaugh wanted to fight. Jim. Jim Schwartz. Jim, why did I think Greg? Sorry about that. <laughs> uh, yeah, I think that that is, for the first round, that would be the most advantageous matchup for the 49ers. But let's assume, like we're all hoping, the Niners do get the one seed, or at least a first round bye. Who do you want to see if it's not the NFC East winner, obviously, in the second round? I think that has to be Green Bay, just because of what we've seen. I mean, the Niners blew the doors off of them. I don't want to re-see the New Orleans Saints. I just got over that game. <laughs> I can't take <laughs> another game. I do think the Vikings are a better, better matchup for the Niners. And we played them last year with a healthy grapple. Obviously, that team was much different than this team. But that Minnesota team does have the capability of playing very good defense and very good offense. Yes, And there's obviously a lot of history there because Kirk Cousins knows this offense. He was the guy Shanahan wanted. That's so true. would he know some things? You know, that that's a dynamic to that game that I, also makes me uncomfortable. They have a quarterback who knows this offense nearly as well as any quarterback. So I don't want to see Minnesota. I would much rather see Green Bay, even though I'm guessing Green Bay will end up winning that division because they're up right now. How much does your view on, on those matchups change if the 49ers have to face those teams on the road as opposed to at Levi's? Well, I just moved from North Dakota after living there for nine years. The only two games I've been able to go to the last six years were the games the Niners played in Minnesota. The Niners lost both those games. <laughs> I don't want to go to Minnesota. <laughs> I, I don't, don't want to go to you. Minnesota. I have heard that that stadium is incredibly loud. The Vikings play very well there. Zimmer is a very good defensive coach. I agree. I want no part of the Vikings. I I have to agree with you. Green Bay, I, I just don't think Green Bay has the horses to stick with San Francisco. I know Aaron Rodgers is great, but I think the Packers' defense is absolutely nothing to be afraid of. I think that, especially if the 49ers had an extra week to prepare, I have no doubt that Kyle Shanahan would would crack the code on that defense and the Niners would go up and down the field on them. The Saints, to me, man, I mean, I just can't get over how easy, I don't want to say easily, but at times it did look easy for Drew Brees to go up and down the field on them. I mean, I argued for weeks that if the Niners played Seattle again, that they could easily win that game. It was such a, a close game. I, if I'm a Saints fan, I think you could make the same argument that the Saints could easily beat the 49ers if they played again. So I, I would like to avoid them, if at all possible, in the playoffs. The Seattle. Right now, I feel good about a matchup against Seattle. Ask me again after Week 17, and I may have a different answer. Well, there's also the aspect of, do you want to play Seattle just for the chance of revenge? Or do you want to let somebody else knock them off or hope somebody else knocks them off? I mean, there's that aspect too. Would, would you rather beat Seattle in the playoffs or would, do you not care? That's one of those, it all depends on, on how the game goes. Because yes, I absolutely want revenge. But at the same time, if the Niners get knocked out by Seattle again, 
I think I'm going to lose my mind. <laughs> I mean, here's the thing. Here's how I look at it. Even if the 49ers were to face the Seahawks in the playoffs this year and get the win, that'd be great. But to me, they'd still be down one Super Bowl appearance because I think that they were the better team in 2013. I really do. I I've, I just will always maintain that. I rewatched that game. Uh, this is just me being an idiot. I rewatched that game and the Super Bowl almost every week because I'm a glutton for punishment, I guess. And every time when the Niners get the ball in the red zone at the end of the game, I still think they're going to win. I still think they're going to score. I mean, Colin Kaepernick throws that deep ball to Crabtree. I think it was first down. It was first down. I, I'm I'm still amazed that they didn't win. So even if the 49ers were to get that matchup in the playoffs this year and win, they can't get the other one back. So yes, it would be revenge, but I, I just want the path of least resistance in the playoffs. Please get me to a Super Bowl. I'm going to be at the Super Bowl in Miami this year. We go down for the whole week for the show. I was there in New Orleans in 2012. It was absolutely awesome to have my team be in the Super Bowl and have to cover it for the week. I want that again. So whether it's Seattle or somebody else, just give me the path of least resistance. Brag a little bit about how cool your job is. Just a little bit. <laughs> it is. I mean, I, look, I'm not going to lie. It's I, I say work, but it's not really work. I mean, we get to talk about football like that's sunday is a work day for me oh no i have to sit in front of the red zone channel and watch it for seven hours and then you know we go down for the super bowl every year and i try to explain what it's like to people it's unlike any environment you could imagine literally you're walking around radio row and like i was walking down one year and oh joe montana just passed by oh there's rob gronkowski there's brandon marshall there's you know, Hall of Famers are just wandering by and they're wearing the Hall of Fame jackets. They've got the Hall of Fame rings. You are just in a different world and you're mingling with all these guys that you watch on TV and you're just, you're in awe sometimes. It's it's incredible. So I got a good story because I didn't have the media access you did, but I was in New Orleans in 2012 for the oh, 2012 okay. season. Uh, 2013, I guess, was when the game was, but... Anyways, I was there. I used to live in New Orleans. Uh, like I said, I think I've said that before on the show. Um, so I went back. I didn't end up buying tickets. I, I came close, but it was going to cost me like six grand to get my wife and I in. And I just decided, eh, I'll, I'll, I used to live in New Orleans. I'll go hang out at, at the bars I know. Um, but anyways, the story I got, and this will show what it's like around the Super Bowl. I'm at this bar that. My friend, I moved there with a friend from high school. His buddy owned the bar. It was kind of a place that we just kind of hung out in because we knew the owner. I'm there. I wasn't wasted, but I had had some drinks. And we walk out of the bar. My buddy wanted to, to have a cigarette. We walk out the bar, and there's the owner chatting on the street at 1 o'clock in the morning, the day before the Super Bowl, or the morning of the Super Bowl, if you want to look at it that way. And he, who is he chatting with? It's Alex Smith with his like two or three year old son. <laughs> no way. <laughs> and That's awesome. My uh, slightly intoxicated self blurts out, holy blank, it's Alex Smith. <laughs> <laughs> and, and I got the look of horror from him. Oh, I legitimately no. recognized it even with the drinks I had had. I re recognized it in his face, this look of, Oh crap! I'm just out in the late more 
late night, early morning hours to show my kid around the night before the Super Bowl, you know? And so I kind of collected myself. I waited for 30 seconds. He, you know, he kind of eyeballed me a couple of times to see what I was going to do, you know, to see if he could get out of there. And then after about 30 seconds, I calmly walked up and I said, Hey, I'm not going to bother you. I just wanted to say, I appreciate everything you did for the Niners and I wish you luck wherever you go. And he shook my hand and that was that, but that's what you get at the Super Bowl. Yeah, that's incredible. That's a great story. Um, it's funny you mentioned Alex Smith. So in Minnesota, the way it works at the Super Bowl is our show is on so early, 6 to 9 a.m. Eastern, that we end up taping a lot of stuff because you know there's yeah. not a lot of guys on Radio Road at 6 o'clock in the morning. So we tape stuff all day long. So in Minnesota, we taped an interview with Kirk Cousins, and this was when Kirk Cousins was a free agent. And right after we taped with Kirk Cousins, we had Alex Smith on the show, and we taped an interview with Alex Smith. Well, what happens later that day? Well, we find out Alex Smith just got traded and he got traded to Washington. And so we couldn't use the interview with Kirk Cousins and we couldn't use the interview with Alex Smith because everything that we had said in the interview was completely dated. So we were a little frustrated on that day uh, for sure. <laughs> I think that's going to do it for us for this week. Uh, again, we miss uh, Zane. He's under a little bit under the weather. So it was just uh, you and me this week. But, you know, I thought it went pretty good. And maybe we don't need Zane after all. And he missed his chance to uh, continue. He, he can just sit stuff. on his couch with his Taysom Hill jersey. That's right. And, maybe he can do a recover. Taysom Hill podcast. <laughs> I don't know. That is those 30 yards per game. Or, hey, or I hey. shouldn't say 30. Less than 30. Since you brought up that Seattle game, would the Niners have won if they had Taysom Hill? Maybe. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> oh God. A couple more yards. You never know. Could have used a few more incomplete passes. <laughs> I mean, that, that two-point conversion play looked pretty good when he got tackled immediately on the one-yard line, which ended up being a big play in the game. Hey, if Seattle had him, would they have run him on the one-yard line? Oh, God. <laughs> Maybe they could trade for Oh, wow, the trade deadline's over now. Oh, I can't tell. Oh, thank God we're done with that. I, I was so confident. Until playoffs. Even when you when you you're texting me updates, oh he's halfway, he's almost halfway there. I knew it. I knew he wasn't <laughs> going to get there. And then I started texting you all the plays where he got tackled. Look at how good Taysom Hill is. <laughs> Nick Bosa tackles him for a six yard loss. Oh, and that's all your fault, by the way. That was completely you. Oh, you're the sorry. one that came up with that bet. I I have no idea what you're talking about. Oh. Okay. All right. That's it for us. Again, we're brought to you by the VQBSneak.com for accurate predictions on every NFL matchup and thought-provoking NFL content that can help your fantasy teams or confidence pools. Head to VQBSneak.com. For Levin, I'm Stats. Thanks for joining us, and we'll talk to you next week.